mostly live but almost dead from the Swedish American Museum in Andersonville in Chicago. You're listening to Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium. We're your hosts, Herzovi and Green. Sharing their talent with us again are our very own denizens of darkness. Miss Kitten. And Joy Thrabjornson Coates. With spectral guests. Sharon Phillips. And Mark Cater. <laughs> and Taksamika Takarin Abercrombie here at the Swedish American Museum. Small Fish Radio Theater providing portable theater for the ear. Tonight. Small Fish Radio presents a live recording of their latest podcast, Tales of Dread. Darkness is falling, evil spirits tread. You seek shelter, but you cannot escape the tales of dread. Tales of dread make you scream. Tales of dread. Fear grips you as terror spreads. You can run, but you cannot hide from the tales of dread. Tales of dread haunt your dreams. Tales of dread. Footsteps behind you. Is it friend or foe? Of a raven Could it be the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe? Monsters chuckle <laughs> Beneath your bed They say your prayers But they won't keep away The tales of dread Tales of dread Make you scream Tales of dread Tales of dread Haunt your dreams Tales of dread know about monsters under your bed. I had ghost poop under my bed. There's no such thing as ghost poop. Yes, there is. No, no, there's not. Yeah. No. The, wh it. What is it? Uh, dust bunnies. No. No, a dust bunny is a dust bunny. Poop is poop. Speaking of smelly things, I remember once my brother had dead pheasant heads under his bed. What? Why? It, it, just because that was what you did back then. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Great story, Joy. That was wonderful. Well, our first tale of dread, something we all know is out there. Basement Goblin by Kevin M. Foliard of LaGrange, Illinois. Kevin enjoys transforming nightmares into scary stories and vice versa. In the kitchen, mommy's crying and daddy's yelling. We moved into this house a month ago, but when daddy got a new job, but he got fired. Mommy doesn't know what to do. I sit on the tile, hug my knees and rock. I squeeze my eyes shut and whisper my ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. I twist around and crawl toward the basement. 
The doorway leads to downstairs to cold, quiet hiding spots. I sit at the top of the stairs and wiggle my toes and slide my socks down the wrinkly wood. I scoot two steps down and stare through the shadows. The yelling doesn't stop, but a loud hum inside my head swallows it away. A funny little man with skinny arms and pointy ears creeps up to the bottom step. Kitchen light glows in his eyes. He's whispering something, wiggling his long fingers. His flat foot tip-taps while he chants. Under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs. Mommy and Daddy keep fighting behind me. But as the funny man crawls up the steps, their voices get quieter. The hum in my head gets louder, along with the funny man's sing-song voice. Under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs. Funny man creeps closer. His face is full of shadows, but I can tell he's smiling. Under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs. What's under the stairs? Funny man wiggles his pointy finger for me to come closer. And then he creeps back down, step by step. I follow. Under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs. The basement smells like rocks and metal pipes. Cold air wipes away the lard, the loud, dark hum, and I hear No fighting or yelling or banging, it's perfect. Funny man hops along the concrete. He points to the shadowy triangle cave under the stairs. There are more arms underneath, long funny fingers all weaving me in. Under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs, under the stairs. I can't think of any place nicer than under the stairs, so I get closer. Funny fingers reach for me. I reach to them. They snatch my wrist, pull me in. They whisper that it won't hurt forever. It won't hurt <laughs> That soon I'll be cold and quiet and safe and forgotten forever under the stairs. Forgotten forever. Under the stairs. Forgotten forever. Under the stairs. That reminds me of another story about my family. Uh, when I was young, uh, my brother and I were babysitting my sister, and she was obnoxious. And so we did the only thing that we could do, anything that any normal person would do. We locked her in the basement. Of course. Um, and she was upset by this. I don't know why. Um, and so she kicked a hole in the basement door. Um, she was perfectly fine. We could hear her the whole time screaming. Um, and she had the boniest little heels. And so they literally put a hole in the basement door and speaking of bony heels, now Skeleton Woman by Mark Hader. Mark lives in Skokie, Illinois. He loves turning happy endings into ones that are not. <laughs> One winter, Many moons ago, an old man and an old woman struggled to survive the coldest, windiest, snowiest winter that they could ever remember. On this particular night, they 
huddled under their animal skin blankets and they slept together for warmth. During that night's frozen darkness, a blizzard wind drifted the snow so deep they would have to dig their way out of their secluded hut. The old man and the old woman awoke together. Weary, aged eyes looked deeply into each other as they arose to face the day. Their breath was misting between them. The old man spoke. Old woman, I know you are hungry, as am I. I promise not to return until I find us something to eat. You can see we only have a few sticks of wood for the fire. Keep them until I return. I know you'll do your best, my old hunter. Pulling open the deer hide door, the old man pushed and shoved his way through the snow to the surface. The old man laced on his homemade snowshoes and called out to the old woman. Remember to keep wood for when I return home with food to cook. I will. Good luck, old man. Inside the hut, the old woman stood freezing, listening to her stomach growl from hunger and her teeth chatter from the cold. I, I know the old man will try to do his best, but I am so hungry and so cold, I don't know if I should live through this day. She stared longingly at the few sticks of wood. She listened to her stomach demanding food and her teeth demanding heat. What should she do? There was nothing to eat. Yet, she could be warm, if only for a few moments. Oh, no, 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 she promised. As the old woman stood alone in the frozen hut, she decided she had to have warmth. She gathered together the sticks and struck the flint. The dried wood flared up, burning her finger. Ouch! She put her finger in her mouth to cool it. This tastes good. She hesitated, then put her finger back in the fire to cook it. She sucked all the meat off the bone. She roasted all her fingers. She ate finger sandwiches. She ate her arms, legs. She had a rump roast. She popped out her eyes and swallowed them whole. <laughs> she ate her liver and heart and lungs. She ate every bit of herself, including the lint in her navel and jam between her toes. When she was done, the old woman stared out of her eyeless sockets. Hungry! 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 She knew where her next meal was coming from. The old woman moved back into the shadows to wait. Old woman! Old woman, I did it! I caught a rabbit for our dinner! Old woman, where are you? <gasps> what have you done? The fire! You burned up all the wood! Now how can we cook the rabbit? Old woman! He saw in the darkness a shape that looked familiar, yet somehow different. Old woman? Is that you? It's okay, honey. We don't need a fire now. It was a strange voice. It chilled his heart. The dying firelight danced across her skinless face as Skeleton Woman moved out of the darkness. Ah! Me, honey, call me Skeleton Woman. And Skeleton Woman is still hungry. <laughs> hungry! Hungry! Fearless fingers reached out for the old man. He threw the rabbit at her. In the blink of an eye, Skeleton Woman snatched the rabbit out of the air and devoured it. The old man ran out of the hut as fast as his aged legs could. Using his snowshoes to his advantage, he moved across the top of the snow. Skeleton woman followed. Hungry! 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 But in the deep snow, skeleton woman could not move as fast as the old man. 
With each step, the distance between them became greater. If only I can get to the ravine, I'll climb across over the fallen tree. Then push the tree into the ravine. I will be safe. She will not eat me. The old man followed the snow-drifted trail around a bend. There it was, the ravine and his chance to be safe. He rushed to it, but as he looked, he could not see the fallen tree. The tree should be right here. I know it was here. Where is it? Anxiously, he looked into the ravine. Oh, there was the tree, blown to the bottom by the previous <sighs> night's blizzard. What could he do? In a panic, the old man looked around and saw a, a, a hut. An ancient woman lives in that hut. Maybe she can help me. Some say she is a witch. Hey, anybody home? I need help. Why are you disturbing me, old man? Please, you must help me get across the ravine before Skeleton Woman finds and eats me. What do you have to trade me for my help? Anything. There must be something you need done. The witch thought a moment. She reached behind her door and handed the old man an axe. Chop up those logs for my fire. <sighs> Hungry, honey, are you? The old man had never split a log and chopped a stacked wood so fast. Hungry! I'm done, I'm done. Please, please get me across the ravine. Hurry! hippity beckity slippity me stretchily me overly ravine i getty. With that spell, the old man watched amazed to see the witch stretch herself out until she reached all the way over the ravine. The old man crawled over her back to safety on the other side. The witch reversed the spell Overly ravine, to stretchily me and went back into her hut. But just as the witch closed the door, Skeleton Woman rounded the trail bend and spied the old man on the other side of the ravine. Hungry! Hungry! Hungry? You'll never eat me now, Skeleton Woman! Skeleton Woman looked around, incessantly chomping her teeth together. The exhausted old man watched on in horror as Skeleton Woman saw and then walked to the hut. She made a bony fist and pounded on the door. Once, the door opened a crack. What do you want? Skeleton Woman pointed her bony finger in the old man's direction. If I do something for you, what will you do for me? I won't eat you. All right then. Sorry, old man. As the witch and Skeleton Woman walked to the ravine, the old man tried to run, but found he was too weak from hunger and cold and exertion. Hippity backity slippity me, stretchily me so over the ravine, I get it. The witch was stretched out over the ravine. Skeleton woman began to walk over the witch to eat the old man. Hungry! But partway across, the witch twitched once. Hold still! Twitched twice. Wait, stop! Twitched thrice. Oh, stop! <laughs> the old man listened to the sound of the skeleton woman shattering at the bottom of the ravine. <sighs> the old man made his way back across. Oh, really ravine, I get he stretchily me, stretchily hippity beckity. She helped him into her hut, sat him down in her very own rocking chair. The old man warmed himself in front of the fire. The now smiling witch handed him a soothing cup of herbal tea. She patted him on the head. Now, you sleep, dearie. You need your rest. And the old man fell into a deep sleep. The witch picked up her axe. <laughs> Stew it is! <laughs>
a delicious ending. Rump roast, anyone? Well, this story actually reminds me of a boarding house where I once lived. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, in the boarding house where I lived, things were getting mighty old. Long gray hairs were in the butter, and the bread was growing mold. When the dog died, we had sausage. When the cat died, catnip tea. When the landlord died, I left there. Spare ribs were too much for me, too much for me. <laughs> Remember, cannibalism is your friend. Practiced in many parts of the unknown world, cannibalism, it makes travel easier. Just invite a few well-fed friends along and you'll never be without a snack. Cannibalism, it's who's for dinner. <laughs> this message brought to you by the North American Cannibalism Board. Our next yarn, Retribution by Marie Anderson, also of LaGrange, Illinois. Once upon a time, while strollering her baby in Graceland Cemetery, Marie saw her first, and so far only, ghost. She's been intrigued by the place ever since. One day... <laughs> the Chicago trip caught my eye. Ghostly garage sale, furnishings, apparel, artifacts, Graceland Cemetery, Daylight hours on Halloween. <laughs> How do they get a permit for that? I wondered as I sipped tea at the wobbly card table in my kitchen. So I put on my reading glasses and, and read the smaller print, a, a fundraiser to help our homeless uh, do-gooders. <laughs> Raising money to help unfortunates. Unfortunates, I ignore. <laughs> but do-gooders, I like. <laughs> Some of my best customers are do-gooders. <laughs> I decide to attend the sale. I need furniture. I'd recently moved into my grandmother's house in Wicker Park, which I'd inherited when she finally croaked. Well, though I'm a, a closet atheist, I, I'd been praying for that croak day. Her house was pretty much empty. I'd had to sell nearly everything in it to pay her nursing home. And so I was currently cash poor, having to pay taxes and cleaning fees. So, on Halloween, I rent a dolly in a U-Haul. I drive to the cemetery with something better than cash in my purse. <laughs> I plan to pay with my high-quality, homegrown product. I park on a lane inside the cemetery and stroll toward the garage sale. A hooded stone figure looms. Death statue, take a photo if you dare. Will your photo be the one that shows something lurking behind the death statue? <laughs> death statue. Ah, one of the good things about being an atheist is having immunity to nonsense like afterlife and ghosts. The garage sale is by a brick wall topped with razor wire. Ooh, my heart flutters. There in a corner booth stands a table. Round, maple, beautiful. A sign proclaims furniture handcrafted by the Bubbles Quaker family. A young man stands next to the table. Well, he's dressed like a Quaker. Suspenders, a white shirt, loose brown trousers, but, but his long black hair, tea-colored skin, black eyes, and gleaming teeth are pure Hollywood gypsy. May I help you, miss? Miss? Sweet. I smile. I'm not exactly old. I mean, in the right lighting and with enough sleep, I can pass for 30. Bubbles! It's an odd Quaker name. He grins. We're converts. How much for the table? Make me an offer, miss. I open my purse, show him my homegrown product. His eyes widen. 
He glances back at an old woman, his grandmother? She's discussing a rocker with a customer. He shoots his black eyes back at me. He nods. 20 minutes later, my purse is empty and I'm dollying my table into the U-Haul. I'm behind the wheel when I hear... Ow! The old woman is running toward me, her long skirt flapping around her ankles, her gray hair flying. She reaches the U-Haul, yanks on the locked door, bangs on the window. You've corrupted my boy. She holds up the Ziploc plastic bag I'd given to young Bubbles, tips it over, and pours my homegrown product onto the ground. Shameful. Oh, spit foams from her lips. Wench, trumpet, you'll rue this day. You've wronged me, and those you've wronged will have to seek revenge. Then she begins chanting in a language foreign to me. I blow her a kiss and drive away. Back home, I sit at my new table. Tea would be nice. I hold the kettle under the kitchen sink faucet. Pull the lever, but it's not water that, that, that spikes out. <laughs> Step back, drop the kettle from the faucet, ooze bubbles. Some round, some cat-shaped, some like the heads of old women, eyes bulging and lips puckering. The cat bubbles hiss. The old woman bubbles cackle. I plunge my hand through the bubbles, grip the faucet lever, the lever pass off. The bubbles keep oozing out, filling the sink, spilling over. I stagger back. Bubbles slime over my floor, up my walls, bounce on my new table. They swarm towards me. Bubbles stinging my eyes, clocking my nose, shredding my clothes, sucking my skin, biting my bones. Oh, I'm sorry. Please stop. Lord, oh my God, have mercy on me. Please, Lord, oh my God, have mercy on me. I think we've all learned an important lesson. Never mm -hmm. buy tables in cemeteries. Or, if you do, pay with cash. <laughs> and not with your stash. <laughs> Our next grisly tale, Ona, comes from Ryan Dean Mullenix of El Paso, Texas, where almost every day is the day of the dead. I saw you looking at her, Kev. Oh, come on, Mari. You're just being paranoid. I am not being paranoid. I hate it when you say that. Oh, hey, baby girl. It's just your It's not just my imagination. This is just like when you cheated on me with Angelica. I told you I was sorry. I love you, baby. Between you and Angelica, I chose you. Don't be mad. I'm not mad. I'm upset. There's a difference. Well, I may have a wandering eye, but my heart belongs to you, baby. Don't you call me baby. Oh, baby, I... Don't. Baby, I love you, baby. Come on, let's get inside. It's raining, and by the sound of that thunder, that weather's not letting up anytime soon. Well, I'm not letting up either. Take a cab. Walk home. Whatever. I'm tired. Can't deal with you and your wandering eye right now. Good night. Oh, baby, text me later. Call Angelica. Calling Angelica. Hey, Stud. Hey, yourself, Angie, baby. You at home? Maybe. Where are you? Just a few blocks over. How about Do I come... Do you think I'm pretty? What? Do you think I'm pretty? Is there another woman with you, Kev? Well, I see some woman limping towards me. It's hard to make out what she looks like with all this rain, but she's getting closer. Uh, hello, are you okay? What does she look like? Kind of small, long, dark hair. Oh, wow, her eyes are like a pale blue.
blue-green, very peculiar. What's she wearing? A beige trench coat, maybe? I think she's wearing some sort of surgical mask over her mouth. Maybe she needs help. Lady, are you okay? Do you think I'm pretty? Okay, this is freaky. I'm gonna walk away now. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? Is she asking, do you think I'm pretty? Yeah, over and over again. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? Well, now she's following me. What should I do? Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? I don't know. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? Oh, God, she's getting closer. Answer her. Maybe she'll stop. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? No. No, I don't think you're pretty. Well... She stopped. She stopped? No, wait. What's she doing? Nothing. She's just looking straight at me. Her eyes are, they're like my mama's when she found our cat dead in the driveway. Her eyes are so sad. Time to get out of there. One second, I, I think she's crying. Kev. Hey, are you okay, lady? Tell me where you're at, I'll pick you up, but you need to leave. Now, let me make this right. I shouldn't have said she wasn't pretty. That is a bad idea. Hey, hey, lady. Lady, you are pretty. <laughs> yeah, sure. What's she doing? I think she's taking off her mask. You think I'm pretty? What's she look like? Is she actually pretty? I can't quite make out her face yet. You think I'm pretty? Oh, get out of there, Kev. You think I'm pretty? Oh, it's okay, Angie, baby. I can take care of my... Oh, my God. Her face, her, her mouth, there's this ghastly scar where her mouth ought to be. You think I'm pretty? Kev! Oh, her mouth is all cut up. I can't. Oh my God! Are those scissors? What are you gonna? No! Help! Help! Oh! Kev? Kev? Are you there? Kev, speak to me. Say something, please. Say anything. small fish group where questions are asked, answers are given, and the panel share their expertise. Issue one, zombies versus mummies. Sharon. Oh, zombies can't be mummies, but mummies can be mommies. Miss Kitten? Oh, um, I just really don't care. Of course. Joy. Well, it's obvious. Zombies are walking dead, whereas mummies are reanimated corpses. And of course, mummies are Egyptian. Issue two. As people's cholesterol levels increase, could vampires become obese? Mark. Uh, zombies don't fly. Interesting. However, we are talking about vampires. Oh, that's so two seconds ago. Would you keep up? The answer is yes. Obese vampires might not be able to change into bats or wolves. That's all we have time for now. Bye-bye. How many of you have ever had a migraine? Well, our next real-life horror story. Migraine by Chicago playwright Trina Kekasek, who believes there is horror lurking everywhere every day if we want it. Uh, come in. It's taken me a long time to get an appointment. You're popular. People say you've cured them, unheard of so far. Plenty of relief to be had, but no cure. Yes, yes, uh, sit down and we'll get started. Don't you want to ask me about my symptoms? Uh, there is only one way to get rid of a migraine and I have found it. Details don't matter. I assume drugs have failed and that hatchet you have buried in your head is a countermeasure? Yes, that's correct. 
Once the blood coagulates, it helps me to get out the door, uh, defer the pain to another location. And, and the staples across the forehead, the same? Interesting, never seen that technique. I've seen patients put staples in their lips and banging their heads on the wall, but never staples and a hatchet. Same with a little bed of tiny nails behind my, my right ear. I am a walking migraine. Nothing can stop the pain for very long. Excuse me. Oh, that's better. <laughs> okay, so tell me, uh, what is it that distresses you most about your migraines, besides shooting yourself with a staple gun as a countermeasure? Are you even listening? The pain, the pain has taken on a life of its own. And what are you willing to do to stop the pain? Anything, that's why I'm here. I said, I am a walking migraine. Every cell in my body requires effort to divide. I, I, I hear you're very aggressive, that a migraine doesn't stand a chance against your methods. This is true, but only if you're willing. Yes. Sign here. I must warn you, uh, you might miss your pain. It's been part of you for so long, like a companion. Yes, dictates how to live life, yada, yada, yada. Very powerful element, pain. Possibly the most powerful of all things. Yeah, I do my best to help. I'm going to hypnotize you, and when you awake, your life will improve. Listen to this sound. Now look into my eyes. Focus on the pain inside your head. Now you will be asleep in five Four, three, two. Ah, there we are. Now, open your eyes, look at me. When I clap my hands, you will wake up. And only when I clap my hands, understand? I understand. You will feel nothing as I place this electromagnet on your skull adjacent to your parietal lobes. Stop that. Oh, is somebody there? Leave us be. Do not mess with me. My goodness, your pain must be excruciating to have such an opinion. You can't get me here. I've never heard lobes of the brain speak during this process. Ow! 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 Leave me alone. Ah, ah there you are. That's what we're after. <laughs> Please, sit still so I can catch you. You sit still. I've almost got you sucked in. Almost got you. <laughs> there, there, I've caught them. Are you awake? How do you feel? I think I got them right here in this vessel. I have your pain. I don't believe you. Let me see them. My patented device is about to change the world. See the minus sign? Fully lit. That's the negative energy I sucked out of your brain. How is your head? Aside from the hatchet and the staples, I'm fine. Oh, uh, be careful. Where you point that staple gun? Ow! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, put that hatchet down. <laughs> no, I, all I uh, imagine I have to do is push this uh, well, What are you doing? Button. Ow! Ow! Oh, get that away from me! Do not put that on my head! No, 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 no! I don't want that in my brain! No! <laughs> Oh my goodness, I do feel better. Would you like to keep my staple gun here? Oh, what have you done? Who are you? Well, I said I am a walking migraine. Couldn't risk a cure now, could I? I would have nothing left. So of course I had to sacrifice a few friends for our cause. It's nice in here, plenty of room. I will get you. <laughs> Good luck being able to concentrate on anything while you're in pain. I will cure myself. You know what we do to those who try to diminish our pain, right, friends? <laughs> We've migraines have feelings too, strong ones, powerful. Would you like to keep the hatchet? Yes, please, and the machine. If I could please have my extractor. Oh, I'm afraid not. Pain must survive after all. Here. Try some pills, they should get you out the door. Unless you chop yourself up to bits first, which I highly recommend. I have sent in my best team after all. Start with the forehead, that'll give you some relief.
You know, I have a hatchet in my garage. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I never use it for anything, but now I know if I ever get a migraine, what to do. It, that's such a great story, Mark. That is a great story, awesome. Mark. That's okay. a good story. Yeah. yeah. Like Thank it. you, Mark, for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks, Mark. That's very good. All right, so moving on. And now, technology gone to the devil. Veronica by Teresa Stefaniak, a Milwaukee, Wisconsin horror writer and reviewer obsessed with the dark side of life. This call is being transcribed by Veronica, virtual online intelligence communication assistant. The conversation may be periodically interrupted with instructions for captioning purposes. Please enjoy your call. Um. Hello, Dad? What was that all about? Matilda, it's so good to hear from you. And you don't have to shout anymore. The phone is typing it all out. Oh, when did you get a new phone? Doctor hooked me up with the latest model in these captioning phones. It's neat. Works better than my hearing aids. So, you're reading the call? And listening. But I can tell when you're talking. I just can't make out the words. The phone makes it easier on both of us. I didn't realize your hearing was so bad. What does the screen say now? It says, what do that screen saying now? <laughs> That's not exactly verbatim. Close enough. All those years of standing too close to speakers, your mother would have so many I told you so's for me if she was here. Mm -hmm. uh, I miss her too. Did it write that? I also miss her. See, it writes everything. Enough about the phone. How's school? Great. Um, I'm up for a TA position. Please speak slower. Congratulations. The phone just told me to speak slower. Did you hear that? Well, all it wrote was the part about the TA position. It must just be on your end. I wanted to take the train down after my last class Friday to come visit. Could I stay the weekend? Well, I've got a doctor's appointment Wednesday. Could we do it Friday instead? That's what I said, Dad. Read it, read it back to me. Please speak more clearly. Well, Thursday would work, too, sure, but I was hoping to watch the game. I will come down on Friday and leave Monday. I guess, but I thought you'd want to stay through the weekend. We could catch up. That's what I'm planning to do. It, it's writing down the wrong words. Please speak slower. It's writing down the wrong words. Can you reboot it? Please speak slower. Oh, this thing is stupid. You don't have to call me stupid. <laughs> Oh, no, no, not you, Dad. Uh, the phone is messing everything up. Please speak slower. I don't mess everything up. I just don't understand technology like you do. I'm, I'm going to hang up and call you back. Okay. This call is being transcribed by Veronica... Virtual online intelligence communication Not so intelligent assistant. to me. The conversation may be periodically interrupted with instructions for captioning purposes. Please enjoy your call. Matilda? Hey, Dad, let's try this again. Can I come up this Friday and stay the weekend? Of course. Thank you. Your phone was scrambling it all up. Please speak more clearly. Um, I guess, but how much did you need to borrow? What? No, I didn't ask for any money. Oh, I don't know, honey. That's an awful lot. What's it for? I don't need any money. Please speak more clearly. What happened to your job? I still have it. I still have a job. You know, I don't tolerate that kind of language. No, Veronica, you're not captioning me correctly. Please speak more softly. Caption me better. Matilda Marie, I'm surprised at you. Stop telling my father I'm saying awful things. Please speak more slowly. If this is how you're going to talk to me, young lady, I'm hanging up. No, Daddy! What is it with you, Matilda? The... Thing is mistranslating me. You're trying to say all those awful things were errors? Seriously, Dad, I have no idea what it was even saying to you. That's a little far-fetched of an excuse. Are you doing drugs again? Matilda Swanson, arrested for public intoxication hey! and cocaine possession. 
six months rehabilitation, and six months community service. $5,000 fine. That is all behind me. I, I was going through something when Mom died. April Swanson died of complications from pneumonia in August 2010. Shut up. Don't speak to me that way. Do me a favor and try to reboot the captions. Is, is there a menu button and a reset? Please speak more clearly. Screw you. Oh, honey. Why don't you call me back when you're sober? No, Dad! It's Veronica. She's doing this. Please speak slower. This just breaks my heart. It's not me. It's a dumb phone. <coughs> Please think before you speak. Hell did you say? Please stop talking. What's going on here? Oh, Matilda. Dad! I'm sorry. The captioning service is temporarily disabled. Please try your call at another time. What? So you won't connect the call just because the captions aren't available? That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. The captioning service is temporarily disabled. Please try your call at another time. Dad, if you can hear me, I'm coming over tonight. I need to clear this up now. I thought I made it clear to you I won't be captioning your call, Matilda. What? What is this? Some kind of prank? He doesn't need a junkie in his life, mooching off him for laundry and free food. Daddy, if you're on the phone, I love you, and, and I'm coming over. He doesn't need anyone but me. This is ridiculous. You can't keep us apart, Matilda. Well, I'm... I'm taking the next bus over there, and I'm unplugging you and throwing you in the garbage. Be careful while crossing the street. How... Do you know that I'm in the street? Please speak more clearly. What did you do to me? Why, why can't I hear anything? I'm sorry. The captioning service is temporarily disabled. Please try your call at another time. Goodbye. Creepy. So that reminds as long as we're telling family stories, I'll tell mine of mine. So um, my dad, like most men, keep his keeps his phone on him at all times in his pocket. Right? So uh, my dad and his wife love to go visit open houses, even though they already bought a house like three years ago. And anyway, so uh, one, one weekend they were talking about maybe going to this one house and, um, and she's like, oh, where is that? And he gives her the address and they decide not to go actually in the end. And um, the next day my dad pulls up Google and um, there are the instructions to go to the house that they talked about when his phone was not on. They're always listening. Alexa is always listening. Taking over the world, people. Mm -hmm. Just, you heard it here. Our final piece comes from Evan Bauchman from Long Beach, California. Evan works inside the scariest place on earth, a middle school classroom. Ooh. Please enjoy the creaky door. Dave closes his laptop, snuffing out the blank white document glaring from its screen. The huge house is soundless, undisturbed, alone beside a dusty road. The perfect reading environment. Dave trades the laptop for an anthology of spooky stories he purchased at a yard sale long ago. Perhaps inspiration lurks somewhere within the book's yellowed pages. Under lamplight, he examines the table of contents. His imagination takes hold and starts to shake him free of rust. 
Behind him, the basement door slowly creaks open. Dave peers over the top of his seat. Shadows seem to creep up the basement steps and inch their way across the living room. Dave peers into the basement's black maw. When he moved into the house a few weeks ago, he'd gone into the basement and seen it was empty. Not even a small window to the outside. Below the house, the air had been stale and hot, trapped inside a prison of cinder block walls. Now, holding the knob, Dave moves the door slightly. It creaks on corroded hinges. Well, he'll have to find a hardware store this weekend. And how did the door move? How did it open? The wind, there's no window in the basement, so it means no, no draft to push upstairs. Besides, the night is calm. Storm shutters, sit still. As he shuts the basement door, its hinges squeal, whining in protest. He reopens the book, gets comfortable once more. Within moments, he's lost in a fictional world. He seeks no escape. It's been three months since the divorce, and Dave welcomed a bit of fantasy, moving into a paint-chipped house that no one wanted. Far from others, happiness and laughter had been a fine idea. At first, he thought the change in location would jumpstart a bit of creativity in his brain force him to finally get to work on another novel, something eerie and profound. He's gone eight days without conversing with anyone but himself. Sometimes he doesn't even bother to move his tongue at all. The cardboard box marked books is the only one he's felt compelled to open. As Dave reads and matches the sinister smile in the dark with his own grin, the basement door creaks open behind him again. This time it creaks and shrieks louder, more shrill. The sound is painful and pierces like a wasp's sting. He races to the door and attempts to shut it tight. However, it resists. In fact, instead of closing, the door pushes against Dave's weight and opens further, creaking, squealing, screaming. Dave grunts, strains as he's driven backward. The door won't budge, but it does a great job of budging Dave. He struggles to stand tall. Eventually, Dave sees it. A thick, black tendril wrapped around the edge of the door. A tentacle made of shadow. The darkness in the basement wants out. Dave runs over to the lamp beside the recliner. He removes the lampshade and angles the bulb so it burns bright in the direction of the basement door. Darkness retreats down the steps. Good thing, too, because its tentacles have tripled. Dave springs into action, slams the door shut. He turns the lock and prays that it actually works. The house is silent for a moment. Dave thinks he's okay. But then the lamp flickers and dies. The lock on the basement door rotates to the left and the door creaks ajar even louder than before. Dave moves for his laptop. He flips it open, holding it out in front of him like a cross with the power to deflect demons. Its weak glow slows his heart rate a beat or two. He backs up to the window parts wilted floral curtains and welcomes in some of the full moon's light. Dave warns the darkness to stay away, though he has difficulty seeing what's doing at the top of the stairs. He, however, has no trouble hearing it slowly open and close the basement door over and over and over again. The door moans. In the distance, Dave looks out the window. Crouched on the dirt road in front of the house is a gigantic dog. Scratch that. A wolf. A monster the size of a refrigerator. It raises its snout to the sky and... Behind Dave, the basement door. The wolf's ears perk like dual antenna. 
It steps onto the property, easing over a fallen fence, stepping through overgrown weeds on the neglected lawn. Dave looks at the unopened boxes to his right. Which one contains the block of butcher knives? Probably the one marked kitchen. He tears open the box, but there are no kitchen utensils inside. Instead, there's his framed college diploma, a bobblehead of Edgar Allan Poe, and other knickknacks from the study back home. No, 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 th this is home now. This horrible place with the living darkness and the werewolf approaching the front door. Oh God, oh God, oh God, how could I have mislabeled the boxes? How, how? Wait, my coin collection is in this box too, and, and some of the coins are silver. And what am I gonna do? Throw an American silver eagle at the beast like a miniature discus? Stop, please stop. Because the sound is drawing the impossible animal closer, closer. But that seems to be what the darkness wants, to lure the wolf in. It brings it inside the house. A huge black arm snakes out of the basement. No! The room seems to fill with even more shadow, ready to strangle the, strangle him free of breath. But the darkness moves past him toward the front door. The wolf is on the porch. Dave is frozen. The dark arm turns the front doorknob. The wolf pushes against the door. The monster enters. The darkness gestures for the wolf to follow it. And so the creature does. The wolf lopes into the basement and disappears from view, but not before nodding at Dave as if to say, thank you, sorry for the intrusion. The basement door continues to creak back and forth, back and forth. In the distance, the creaky door guides into the house, a masked psychopath wearing blood-stained overalls. The humongous man kills the motor on his weapon and tells Dave, It's too scary out there. Need a place to stay. He, too, ventures into the basement. Dave listens for a struggle between psycho killer and werewolf. But there isn't one. He only hears the irritating hinge of the creaky door. Next, the noise brings in a vampire seeking shelter. Recently in my neighborhood, an arsonist has sent a pair of children to the burn ward. Another drive-by has claimed the life of a mother of five. Don't want to be around that anymore. The creature explains, then flips his cape and floats down into darkness. A scarecrow defeated by drought puts down its scythe to shake Dave's trebling hand. A mummy tagged with Islamophobic epithets? expresses its gratitude with unintelligible <laughs> sobs. It cries so hard that its jaw snaps off and falls to the floor. A ghost, a ghoul, a goblin, a chupacabra afraid to be sent back to its world of origin. A cyclops, a clown, a chimera, Dozens of creepy, crawly, growly things, all in the basement, one by one by one. How could they possibly fit inside such a cramped space? There must be another gateway down there, invisible to the human eye. The walls are strictly optional. The house's last guest is a possessed ventriloquist's dummy who tips his hat at Dave and then descends down the basement steps with a toddler's grace. Good evening, everybody. How you doing here? Hey, nice place you got here. <laughs> the darkness finally closes the creaky door for good. The lamp turns on like, like nothing has happened at all. Dave moves to the recliner and turns it around, so now it faces the basement door. He bookmarks his spot in the short story anthology, then puts it aside. A blank white document beckons from the laptop in his hands. Dave extinguishes the lamplight. He glances at the basement door. 
he smiles in the dark. It's time to write. about all we have time for, folks. Special thanks to our contributors, Marie Anderson, Evan Boffman, Kevin Foliard, Trina Kakasik, Mark Cater, Ryan Deed Molinex, and Teresa Stefaniak. Be sure to keep an eye out for our new installments of the approximately 20-minute Variety Hour coming soon. This show featured the talents of Kat Dean, Joy Therbjornson Coates, Mark Cater, Sharon Phillips, and Michael Herzobi. And Michael John Kelly. Directing and sound design by Trina Kakasik. Special thanks to the Swedish American Museum, Karen Abercrombie, and the White Crane Wellness Center for rehearsal space. And our studio audience, joining us on this nightmare. Hooray! Smallfish Radio is produced by Michael John Kelly and Trina Kakasek. Smallfish Radio Theater and Thespinarium, providing portable theater for the ear. If you'd like to send us something, visit our submission page at smallfishradio.com. Good night, everyone! Good night, everybody. Thanks!